Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today we're celebrating the resurrection, and it's worthy of celebration because the resurrection reopened the way to relationship with God. The resurrection is the most important event in all of human history. It is the crux of the beginning and the end. All of it rests on that empty tomb in that garden outside of Jerusalem. I cannot overstate the magnificence of this moment. I cannot overstate the power of this happening. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is cause for celebration. I want you to know the crucifixion was not a defeat. It was just a setup for the resurrection, which is our victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what was lost in the first garden is gained in the garden of redemption, is gained at the garden tomb. What humanity lost in Eden, it gained because of Jesus Christ in the second garden. Do you see the symmetry in the salvation story? Do you see that it was one writer with one plan, with one hand that wove human history together? and began something that he was always going to finish. Jesus says, it is finished. And he who began it gets to complete it. And the Bible says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete that work. He is the author. He is the maker. He is the artist that's painting this incredible portrait for his people. And what's so amazing about this story of salvation is that we see through it that creation and the resurrection are connected. They're connected. In order to understand what Jesus did on the cross, we have to go all the way back to the very beginning. we got to go back to the creator and back to his process of creating his people. God being our creator shows that even in the garden, he had a plan of restoration. In other words, it's not as if after sin, God had to quickly come up with plan B. Know this, it was always God's original plan to know his people. God had a plan to know his people. God had a plan to rescue his people. God had a plan to love his people. God's plan is to know you. In other words, you were made to be known. You were made for relationship, not distance, friendship, not isolation. You were made to be loved and love God back. You were made to grow and flourish. And let me tell you, in Christianity, there's room for growth. You're not who you used to be. You're not what you used to believe. You're not what you used to do. And Christ will never cancel you. There's room for growth. You're changing. You're awakening. You're becoming brand new. Amen? The old is gone, but behold, the new is coming. What separates Christianity from every other ideology in all of human history is the concept of grace that you don't deserve, that you do fall short, that you're not enough, but God is more than enough. And while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And God shows his goodness to us 
in the very beginning by saying, I want to know you. And I want to see you grow. And I want to see you flourish. And out of pain, I'll bring prosperity. Out of imperfection, I'll bring redemption. I'll bring rescue into your life. You are God's own. No one else has claim over you. You are God's own. Nothing else has claim over you. You are God's own. And God proves this by beginning all of creation with a garden. The Bible says that the Lord planted a garden. Isn't that interesting that he chooses to build a garden? And then he puts the man whom he had formed in the garden that he planted. So after seeing God as creator, the very next image that we get of God is that of a gardener. Keep that in mind. Remember this for the end of the sermon. The first image outside of creator we see is a gardener. In other words, he wants to cultivate you. He wants to grow in relationship with you. He cares for you specifically. The Bible says if God knows even the sparrows when they fall out of the nest, how much more will he know when you are in need? You have a God that loves you specifically. So much so that he created a garden named Eden for humanity to live in. You know, Eden means paradise. It also could be translated as pleasure. That God made paradise for his pleasure and for your pleasure. That there would be, um, that there would be uh, contentment within his people. Paradise. But what made Eden paradise? The Bible tells us that Eden was a place with Stunning nature, landscaped by God's own hand. It was beautiful beyond description. And more than that, there was good food in the garden. God himself prepared the food, and then he tells everybody on the side, hey, and you can eat whatever you want from this garden. The whole place is your buffet. The only restriction I put is on that one fruit on that one tree. Other than that, it's all yours. What else made Eden paradise was that there was perfect protection around the garden. God's hands were the walls, and within that was safety, was comfort, was protection. These are the things that if I was asked to ask you to define your own paradise, these are the images that you would create, that you would speak, and yet I would propose to you that even though it had all those things, that is not what made Eden paradise. I would propose to you that it was the presence of God that made Eden paradise. It is the presence of God that is the beginning of paradise. And if there is the presence of God there, that means there is the absence of sin, self, flesh, corruption. It's not there because the presence of God is there. Because there was no sin, God is present. Because there was no sin, that's how friendship can grow. Contentment can be cultivated by God. And that is paradise, is that we can depend fully on God. Well, you know the story. As Adam and Eve were in the garden enjoying it, a serpent slithered in. The serpent represents, it was the enemy, your enemy, my enemy, the enemy of humanity came after humanity. And the serpent came with a temptation. He began to twist the word of God saying, surely you, that you, you, you uh, he didn't say that you can't eat any of the fruit of the garden. He began to twist the word of God. And, and the woman said, no, we, we can eat anything, but we can't eat of that one tree or we shall surely die. Here comes the promise and the lie of the serpent. He said, surely you will not die. No, you will not die. In fact, you'll become like the most high. Where have we heard that before? 
It's the same temptation that Lucifer had in his fall. He says, I will become like God. You have to understand, this is a very real temptation. Lucifer fell to it, Adam and Eve fell to it, and you are going to have the choice to fall to it or overcome it. The temptation I'm speaking of is the temptation of self-sufficiency. You'll become like God. You can do this on your own. You can make this through. You, you, can, you can get that grind, that hustle going. You can bless yourself. Your way is as good as any other way. What you believe truth is, is your truth. And if it works for you, it works for you. Your way, yourself, your mind. It's the temptation of self-salvation. That I can do this without God. And this is the temptation that all of humanity will have to face and will have to overcome through the blood of Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve fell to this temptation. The Bible says that the fruit looked good, tasted good. It had a lust of the flesh, and, 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 and they gave in. and They took of the fruit, and they ate. And, and the problem was in that moment, humanity became lost. The promise was that they were going to find themselves. The reality was that they lost themselves. They lost the comfort. They lost paradise. Why? Because they lost the presence. See, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is, is what they consumed. I would propose to you that they already knew good because they knew God. So the only thing they gained was an awakening to evil. The only thing they realized was the depths of their own depravity. Suddenly they realized that they were naked. Now shame entered into the equation. And guilt drove them underground. And the Bible says that they began to cover themselves and they hid amongst the trees. It's like they act out physically what we do spiritually when we screw up. We hide from God. We're afraid of being exposed. Some people won't even come to church because they think if I go there, people will judge me. If I go there, everyone will know what I did as if we also didn't do. We all fall short of the glory of God. Don't stay lost just because you're afraid of being made fun of, mocked, exposed. That's, that's the enemy's goal. They hid from God, hid from his presence. And maybe, maybe that's where you are right now. You're at church. You came because it's Easter, but really you're in a state of hiding things, hunkering down, hoping God won't have an opinion on areas of your life. Or you're afraid of being exposed. The good news is that what God did for Adam and Eve, he does for us. And God initiated a search. God shows up in the garden to spend time with his creation. The Bible says he calls out, where are you? Adam and Eve, where are you? What happened? Where did you go? What did you get caught up with? What did they say? What did you ingest? What went deep in your heart? Was it words? Was it thoughts? Where are you? God's calling out, not because he's trying to find where Adam and Eve are. God is omniscient, which means he knows all. So when God asks a question, he's never looking for the answer. He's not trying to receive information. He's trying to reveal something to the one he asked the question of. When he asks, where are you? He's trying to reveal their own state to themselves. They became disconnected. 
Sometimes the enemy will lie and say, God is against you. Sometimes the enemy will lie and say, God is distant from you. I'll even hear people say, I don't, I don't know what happened, but I don't feel God anymore as if it was God that moved. But I'm here to tell you today, God calls out to you here and now. Where are you? My child, where are you? God wants to know where's your heart. Maybe your heart has moved away from God. Even if your body is still in church, your heart has moved away. God's calling, where's your heart? Has it gotten entangled? Has it gotten entangled in sin or shame or guilt? Or, or has your heart grown cold? Because when you move from the warmth of God, coldness begins to come on your heart. Your heart grows bitter. Your heart grows angry. Your heart grows discontent. And many times you can hear that come out from your speech because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And all of a sudden, if you were to really check the state of your heart, you would see that you're angry at people. You've got unforgiveness towards people. You hold everyone to a standard that you yourself could never even attain. What has happened? Your heart has drifted from the presence of God. Where's your heart? This Sunday morning, where's your mind? Adam and Eve, in their attempts to gain knowledge, they became less in their thinking. Where's your mind? Do you still receive revelation from the word of God? That begins to sharpen your mind. Have you thought about eternity recently? Have you thought about the things of God recently? Have you thought about your values? Have you thought about your convictions recently? Do you still have your sense of discernment, knowing right from wrong, good from evil, because God is working in my mind? Has your mind moved from the things of God? Maybe, maybe your mind has just been caught in a place of mindless entertainment, the, shallow, the shallowness of media, where you just stay as low as possible. You don't have to think. You don't have to feel. You don't have to wrestle with anything. You don't have to overcome. You just have to be fed the junk food of the world. Where's your mind? Where's your mind? This is the voice of God. It's a gentle nudge. And he's, he's speaking to you today, saying, where are you? When God begins to bring you into salvation, this is the question he starts asking. Where are you? He's drawing you back to him. Where's your actions? Have your actions lapsed into apathy? No longer can you say, Lord, use me. Use my hands. Use my feet. I want to I be living. I want to be active. No longer can you say, God, whatever you need of me, I will serve you with all that I am. Have you lapsed into apathy? I'm thankful that we are a part of a church that actively opposes apathy at every opportunity. We just got news before this weekend that the well that we took an offering to build in Malawi, Africa after two years, has been finished this Friday and right now is giving water to that whole community. I'm thankful for a community that says, God, we want to do, we want to lead, we want to be active and engaged in our faith. We oppose apathy. We say, use me, Lord. My question to you today is, have you hidden from God? The Holy Spirit right now is asking you. And even as I'm speaking, he's revealing your state. And you might think, well, Jordan's condemning me. No, no. That's conviction. 
The Holy Spirit's coming right now, and he convicts you not to make you feel bad. He convicts you to make you feel his presence again, to bring you close to him again. Are you hiding from God? Living on your own, doing it on your own. Right now, you can respond, Lord, here I am. Here's my heart. I want to challenge you. Don't wait till the end of the sermon. Don't wait till tonight. Don't wait till next week. Right now, respond, Lord, here's my heart. Maybe one of those areas I was speaking, you did feel conviction lifted up before God right now. Say, Lord, here I am. Here's my heart. Here's my mind. Here's my actions. Here's my hope. I'm not going to hide from you, motivated by fear or guilt or the opinions of other people. I don't care about other people right now. Lord, here I am. I want you. I desire your presence. The Bible says in his presence, there's fullness of joy. In his presence, there's love, joy, and peace. There's patience and kindness. All of the sudden, when you get the presence of God, you get a piece of the garden working in your life again. Because of Adam and Eve's fall, sin entered into humanity. Adam and Eve were cursed because of their own actions, and they were exiled from the garden. The Bible says that he closed the gate to the garden. He set an angel as a watch that no human would enter back into that place of connection with God. The garden, the first garden of Eden was closed. The relationship was lost. This is called the fall. And for hundreds and thousands of years, humanity just tried to get back to the thing that we lost. Through temples and priests, through religions and governance, through words and wisdom and prophets, we tried to get back to the paradise that we lost. Yet no matter how high we built our towers, no matter how great our temples were, no matter how much sacrifice from people, it was never enough to reach to God. But here's the good news today. God came to us. Jesus is God coming to us. Listen, this is the gospel. It can be summed into two words, but God. Humanity was lost, but God. Humanity was far, but God. You couldn't do it on your own, but God. He interrupts, he intervenes, and he initiates his plan of rescue through his son, Jesus. The Bible says to a lost and dying world, a world filled with darkness, upon them a light has shone. Jesus entered into the earth, and what did he do? He walked with his people again, like he did once back in the garden. Here Jesus in the flesh is walking with his friends again. He's speaking to us and teaching us the Sermon on the Mount, parables. He heals his people, and he laughs with his people. Oh, the religious leaders... They hated it. They hated it because they had set up all their structures, all these things you were supposed to follow to gain God. But God just showed up and said, I'm here to bring the garden to you despite anything you do. I'm here to come to you. No longer do you have to work and try and effort and push. I'm here. God walked with his creation again. But more than that, more than that, Jesus came not just to live with us, he came to die for us. And the Bible says that he denied himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed, he's praying to his father and saying, God, I don't want to endure the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Where Adam and Eve failed in their choice, Jesus succeeded in his choice. He says, Lord, not my way, 
not my flesh, not my will, not what I want, but your will be done. And what did Jesus do? He accepted the curse that we deserve on himself, that he might give us blessing that we could never deserve through himself. Jesus tells us uh, in his word, he says, you do not take my life, but I willingly lay down my life. He says, I have the authority to lay it down, but here's the best part, but I have the power to pick it back up. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. And we gain life through his sacrifice, the choice we couldn't have made. The choice Adam and Eve failed, we failed. Jesus succeeded in that choice so that we might reap the benefits of his righteousness. And he was crucified on the tree. Two gardens, two trees. And the Garden of Eden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the tree of the cross became our tree of life. Because of his blood, we are healed, we are forgiven, and we are set free. The cross is the tree of life. And right now, you can reach out to the tree of life and choose him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, what the snake promised, life, but could never fulfill, Jesus comes and he says, I will become sin so that sin gets to get ripped off of you and your righteousness gets to be fulfilled because of God. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become righteous. And Jesus gave up his life and finished the work and was buried in a garden. Garden to garden. Tree to tree. And for three days, he lay there in that tomb. It was almost as if God was calling out to humanity, will you search for me again? It's almost as if God's body was calling out, will you come back to the garden? Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. The cross was the key to unlock the gate of the garden. And Jesus is calling out to humanity, will you search for me? I came for you. Where are you? Come to me. The Bible says early in the morning, before the break of dawn on the third day, his followers entered into the garden. And who was it? It was a woman named Mary. Two gardens, two trees, two women. What Eve had lost, Mary is about to gain. And God is going to restore humanity through Mary, the very first person to see Jesus in his resurrected form. The Bible says that Mary's weeping because she sees the tomb is empty. And the, the Lord comes up behind her. And he says, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Here's the moment. Here's the moment, the eternal moment. It's God. It's the garden. It's the woman. Everything's about to be reset. Everything's about to be restored. 
Everything's about to be revived. Why? Because God had a plan. God had a plan. And he's not just speaking to Mary. He's speaking through Mary back to Eve. He's speaking through Mary back to all of humanity, to you and me. And he asked this question, whom are you seeking? This is the search for salvation. The search for God. The problem is, so many people are searching for something when you really should be searching for someone. Salvation cannot be discovered in stuff. Freedom cannot be found in things. It cannot be found in your works or your morals or your ethics. Salvation cannot be found in institutions or governments. It cannot be found in your family or your children or your relationships. Salvation can be found in one place alone, in one person alone. And I'm here to declare to you today, this person is who your soul has been seeking. From the moment of your birth, your soul has been seeking the one that you've been missing. Your soul has been seeking your Savior, whom are you seeking? Mary says, I'm looking for him. I'm looking for the one that will come to bring me back to his presence. You could gain paradise, but without the presence of Jesus, you'll have nothing. The Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but loses his own soul? If your soul is not connected with Jesus, you have nothing of worth in this life or in the next. Whom are you seeking? Right now, I would declare to you that the one your soul has been searching for is named Jesus Christ. And he's coming to you right now. Say, I'm right here. I've been waiting for you. And the Bible says, Jesus said to her, Mary. He calls her by her name. See, before this moment, she thought he was the gardener. And he was. He was. But what happens when he calls her name? He's restoring relationship with his people. I want you to know, Jesus died for the whole world. But he died for you specifically. And he is calling your name this Sunday morning. He's speaking to your spirit right now. That's the feeling that you're feeling right now. It's the spirit of God calling you, come back to me. I've made the way open. I've paid the ultimate price. You do not any longer have to suffer under your own sin. The way of salvation is now open to you. He calls you by name. When Jesus calls you, he also tells you who you are. So many of us are searching for our identity. Let the Lord tell you who you are. He says, Mary. And in that moment, her eyes open. And she, she sees Jesus for who he is. And she says, Master. What's her response? You're my teacher. You're my master. You're my God. You are the one that I've been waiting for, searching for, looking for. Christ's resurrection reopens the way to relationship, puts identity on your life, awakening in your heart. And I'm here to tell you today, he's calling you. He's calling you by name.
prophet Isaiah says this, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. Christ comes to you, and he calls you. He says, come to me. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon. Thank you.